Hello, hello. Hello. Oh, mind the button. Mind the, the color. I, I, I am. When like, I say mind the color, it's when our our sound box Scarlet. turns bright yellow. You know, it's always orange for me though. And this is look look how nicely I'm talking right now, and it's still flickering arm. Sure. Welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. Oh, that was some nice ASMR type. Of. <laughs> Tammy Alba for Ghost. Uh, we're so, oops, that was loud. We're so excited to, to be with you today. Learning our sound box these, as we go. Just, one of these days I'm going to know how to correctly do the sound. It looks correct on the screen. On the screen. I'm going to put my headphones up a little bit more. That makes me feel a little better. And uh, yeah, that sounds good. I think we're here. This is us doing a sound check and recording <laughs> an episode. Welcome to the show, everyone. We're so excited to be with you. Um, how you doing, Christina? I'm good. I'm tired on this dreary, rainy day oh that my we're gosh. recording. It is dreary. Some days I think that you live if you live in New York and um you hear us talk about the day, you're like, Oh, I remember that day. I know which a, day that it was. It was. was a really great day, wasn't it? Yeah. And today is one of those days. It's just like great, great. I haven't been out of the house at all today. It claims to be much warmer than it feels. Well, does it not feel that warm? It doesn't feel freezing. I like, it feels like a nice, uh, a nice like rainy chill in the air, which is my favorite kind of chill, like a rainy. Yeah, chill no, air. that's what it is. But I think the internet promised me sixty degrees, and it's not sixty degrees. I wish our setup in the studio was a little different, so that like you came I out could, a little bit more, I so know. I didn't have to like look over like <laughs> right now adam is having to be a contortionist <laughs> in order to look at me and talk at the same time anywho some big news for the kids um we have our own tiktok what um uh, we're so excited we uh we we launched uh, a new tiktok last week uh it is at ny mystery machine like all the other things if you <laughs> except twitter we're different except on twitter, twitter. <laughs> um it's at ny mystery machine on tiktok if you follow and what we've been doing we're develop we're going to develop a few different series the first <laughs> We, that we launched uh, last week um, that we have two releases so far I believe um, are going to spots that we've covered on the show and just giving like a quick like 45 second to a minute rundown of what the episode was about mm -hmm. and so hopefully if if you know you guys have heard the episodes already so you know but um, you know hopefully people who haven't heard us uh, it would entice them to listen to the whole episode we're also gonna like do the same kind of style to there's so many cases that are like this is a two minute story we can't like it, it, it's mm -hmm. it's too short to even be a, a, a patron bonus episode <laughs> like it's so short we're gonna do it for a few of those two where it's like okay this is a two minute story of that happened and um we're gonna post those two as well as some silly stuff we're probably gonna do we've we've joked nonstop about it being our bad <laughs> architecture we'll probably do some bad architecture yep. as well yep. so yeah join us on on tiktok we're really excited to to do it we're and talk about um, architecture and eat sandwiches that's oh, secretly sandwiches. what, what the, the TikTok is. Um, and so be sure. People are going to come to the podcast and be like, what the fuck? Like, oh, this is actually exactly what the TikTok is. <laughs> it's really weird. These two weirdos doing a bunch of weird things. Well, uh, be sure to follow us on TikTok, uh, Instagram, and Facebook, all at NY Mystery Machine, at Twitter, at NY Mysteries. We barely use the Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so, so thanks for all that. And uh, again, I, I made a plea last week. I'll keep making that plea. Um, do us a solid head on over to Apple podcast and drop us a five star review. That's a five star rating followed by a review. Tell us what you love about the show, what you love about us, what you want to hear more of. We love hearing those last week. We, we thanked one of our uh, reviewers and we want to keep thanking our reviewers. So please, please, please uh, head on over and do that. It means and you get a, lot. a sticker and you get a sticker. Who doesn't uh, want a sticker? I don't know. I love stickers. I love a sticker. It means a lot to us. So we really appreciate it. 
Anywho, I guess um what are, a, what are we doing today, Adam? Uh, you know, we're we're talking about a missing persons case. Ooh. I know last week on the show, I was like, I think it's a murder. It wasn't a murder. It's a missing persons case. Okay. But Slash is also kind of a murder. Okay, spoilers, um, Adam. But, well, anytime a person's missing, I, I it's, it's a murder case. I mean, like, it's so rare. It's when rarely a, not a murder. Yeah, it's so rare when a person goes missing and it's like, I bet they're alive someplace. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's. I mean, every now and then, like, we had that case of... Um, Marie Empress. Marie Empress, who was like, oh, no, no, that she lived a new yeah. life. Um, and there's still controversy. You know, we spoke about Sneha and Philip back in, yep. in last season uh, about where wh- what her whereabouts are. And speaking of Sneha and Philip, she went missing famously on 9-11, 2001. And as we know, Sneha wasn't the only New Yorker to go missing on that day. Uh, and it, there was... N- Tons and tons and tons, hundreds, thousands of even missing persons report that took place on 9-11 because of all the people who who were on in or around the Trade Center or police and fire and all that jazz. Um, But in addition to all those uh, missing person cases, one was filed around the same time all the way up in Spencer, New York. Now, Spencer Spencer is is about 20 miles outside Binghamton. So this case will take place uh, mostly in Spencer, also the Owego um, area as well. Owego and Spencer are very near each other. Uh, They both share a road, which is where where the crux of this this case uh, takes place. On September 11th, 2001, Michelle Ann Harris worked her shift at Lefty's, a restaurant in nearby Waverly, where she had been a waiter. Uh, when her shift was over, she headed out to the parking lot to have a few drinks with a couple of friends who she worked with. Um, she then went to go see a boyfriend in Smithborough and left shortly after 11 p.m., around 11 p.m., 11.30. This was the final time anyone's known to have seen her. The next morning, her car was found on the road near the home where she shared with her children and husband, Cal. So, Wait. Yep. Backing up. Boyfriend and husband. We said, okay, we said, we said both those. You're going to get all in. Okay, it. cool, 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 cool. There are boyfriends, there's husbands. Just wanted to clarify. This is a messy case, folks. So as with all missing persons cases, we got to go back. We have to learn a little bit about Michelle, about the people in her life. And on the outside, Michelle's life looked pretty, pretty good. Um, she lived on a 252-acre estate on Haggerton Road in Owego, New York, with her husband and her children. Michelle earned an associate's degree from SUNY Morrisville, and soon after she graduated, she met Cal. Cal, or Calvin, was an all-star athlete in high school and college, and eventually became a very successful businessman as well. He was from a very wealthy and influential Tioga County family. His father, Dwight Harris, bought a string of car dealerships for his three sons to help him run, and it kind of made them a lot of money, mm-hmm. as car dealerships do. You know, often people need cars, especially when not New York City. Right, I was going to say, if you're outside New York City, you need a car. Um, Michelle was working as a secretary at one of the dealerships when she caught the eye of Dwight's youngest son, Calvin. The two married in 1990 and settled on that aforementioned estate with its own private lake. Private lake? She had the first of the couple's four children in 1994. And by the time she was 33, Michelle had four children under the age of six. So, Oh, wow. Bunch of kids. Bunch of kids in a row. Wow. Twins? A couple of twins in there. I don't think so. Oh, good Lord. I mean, maybe. Who knows? I didn't do that much research. <laughs> I didn't like investigate the actual particular nature of their of their children. You didn't children. think the kids did it, so you didn't. You didn't yeah, go I was like, into I don't think it. I need the okay. kids. Do I need the kids? They're all under six. They're fine. 
So CBS News would air a story about Michelle in 2007. They had the opportunity to interview her sister-in-law, Shannon Taylor, um, who was her brother's wife. She's, uh, Shannon had said, quote, I thought that her life was absolutely perfect. You never saw her when she wasn't smiling or laughing. But after her youngest was born, Taylor started to see things that weren't perfect. Michelle began talking about Cal's temper and mm-hmm. his controlling behavior. Cal wanted things absolutely perfect, and if they weren't absolutely perfect, Michelle told Shannon that he would scream and yell at her. Oh, no. He apparently also wanted Michelle to be thin, which made her lose weight for him. Oh, no. like, come on. Come on, I Cal. hate this. You're the worst. In 1999, the marriage started to strain even more when Michelle discovered, while pregnant with their youngest child, that Cal had been having an affair with another clerk on one of the other car lots. Mm. He justified this affair on the grounds that she was not keeping the house clean enough. What the fuck? It's like, I'm sorry. Honey, I had to cheat on you. (laughs) I walk into the house. It's gross. What else am I going to do? Find a girl and have sex with her. What? 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 What kind of logic is this? Oh, it's bad logic. That's what it is. It's not really really good logic. Oh, my God. It's 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 poor logic. Um, when she confronted him, he promised to end the affair, but she later learned that he did not. Also, how's the house supposed to be perfectly tidy? You have four kids under the age of six, and they have a maid. Like it's important to know. You'll hear from the maid and the housekeepers and whatnot. Like there's actual staff at the house as well. So I physically don't understand why it's this, this woman's fault. Oh my goodness! You literally hire people to do this, so right. it's clearly not your wife's fault. Right. In addition, around this time of her youngest child being born, there were also more signs of trouble. After he was born in October 2000, she stopped sharing a bed with her husband, began to sleep on the couch in the family's home. So things were were a bit, you know, dodgy. So he has an affair and she has to sleep on the couch. I hate all of this. Well, she chose to sleep on the couch. But that would lead into her own little tryst, because as we heard in the beginning of the episode, boyfriends are involved. So a month later, she met Brian Early, a young man, live, a younger man visiting the area of Philadelphia where he worked as a surveyor. Soon, the two were having discreet meetings. The two used phone cards when they called each other so that the caller ID would display a random jumble of numbers in order to keep their relationship a secret mm. from Cal and the children. At the beginning of 2001, Michelle filed for divorce. During the first half of the year, Cal reportedly told Michelle that he would not let her divorce him. He did not want to get divorced. Now, some say it was because Cal really did love her and wanted to be with her. But others, including Michelle's family, thought it was for ulterior motives, which we'll get to in just a brief moment. I'm tending to side with the family right now. Yeah, Michelle told her sisters that at one point in March, Cal told her during an argument that he would not need a gun to kill her. Oh! And the police would never be able to find her body. Oh! On one occasion, she even let her hairdresser, Jerome Wilczewski, overhear, overhear Cal threaten to kill her and make her disappear over the phone. Oh, my God. In addition, what the family really believed more than anything else, more than love or, or any of that, was that Cal's biggest concern was money. Yeah. There was no prenup signed. So their money was up for grabs in the divorce proceedings. Right. He did not want Michelle to have any of it. So... Really hate Cal. Yeah, we we can't. He's not. A, he's not a redeemable no. character in this missing persons case. 
So in June, Cal was ordered to pay $400 a month and continued to pay all the expenses related to the house until the divorce was finalized. Michelle was still living in the house at the time. It was big enough that they can share it without Mm. kind of being in each other's world. Cal was also ordered to give all of his guns to his brothers and father until the divorce was over and Michelle had moved out. Good. The court estimated his net worth at $5.4 million. By being a car salesman? By being a car salesman. A good car salesman. We're we're in the wrong field. We're in the wrong field. I mean, who are you telling? (laughs) I've been saying this for for, forever. We're in the wrong field. We need to start a used car business. Literally. He offered her full custody of the children and a settlement of $740,000 over the next 10 years, but she rejected it. I just... It's always suspect when you're like, I don't want these kids. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want these kids. I don't, I don't care. Want, I don't want these kids. You keep these kids. You take full custody wow. of these kids. It always gets me when like a dude's like, I don't want these kids. And also valued at what? What did you say? Five and a half million? And, 5.4 million. And then was like, I'll give you. 740,000 over the next 10 years. While you take the kids. While you take the kids. Give me a break. In the meantime, Early, who she was seeing at the time, her boyfriend, uh, left his girlfriend and moved to Tioga, another town in the area, that June, expecting that the two would soon marry whenever the divorce was finalized. Mm-hmm. Now, while Michelle was interested in a long-term relationship with Early, she actually told her friends that she didn't plan to marry him. Yeah. I mean, she just got out of one. Yeah. Um, at that time, he had given Michelle the keys to his house to let his dogs out if, they, if he was ever working late. And also, she would leave some belongings there. As some nights, she would come there after work as late as 2.30 in the morning. But there's a reason why Michelle was keeping her options open, because that wasn't Michelle's only love interest at the time. For two months, she had a relationship with Michael Casper, a manager at Lefties. Now, no one knew about this relationship. Literally, none of her friends, none of her family, no one working at at the restaurant, no one knows of this relationship. The details of this relationship only come about when she goes missing. Oh, that makes my eyebrows cross. Well, yeah, More, yeah. I I don't I don't care for it. If you're being that secretive, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, suspicious of this Michael guy. I mean, I assume like, look, she's in. A, she's married, but like, it's not necessarily an affair as they are going through yeah. a divorce. I tend to believe if you file for divorce, it's over. all bets are off. Yeah. Like you can just start dating people. I'm not sure what Cal thought about this, but Cal was also cheating on her beforehand. Right. So, meh. Now, Cal would up his initial offer to Michelle in order to move the divorce proceedings along. At one point, he's like, "Fine, let's just do the thing." Like, yeah, you know, let's call it a, two, a cool seven hundred and fifty thousand. <laughs> so he changes the offer. The offer then goes to eighty thousand annually in alimony and child support, along with full custody of her children. Which okay. going from the initial offer, which is only seven hundred forty thousand over the next ten years, eighty thousand a year is much more of a suitable price point. Right. Although over ten years, that's eight hundred thousand. But it would be in perpetuity, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or at this, least, yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is in perpetuity. You know, for as long as there's, I, I assume until her, until the kids are all of age. Right. Okay. So the kids are all about. Uh, all under six. So now we're looking right. at at least the next 10 to 15 years, right. okay. which is significantly more. I know math. <laughs> <laughs> don't make us do math on the yeah. show. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Her lawyers would begin to appraise the business in hopes of finalizing an offer that was fair for both parties. And hopefully that the agreement would be finalized by the summer's end. Michelle 
had made the decision to accept Cal's offer, but hadn't told him yet. She needed to meet with her lawyer one more time before doing so. And she was scheduled to meet with her lawyer when? Oh, no. September 12, 2001. She told Cal that after the meeting, she was going to be taking a trip to New York City to visit a friend from college. That was partly true. In addition to meeting her friend, she was also heading down there to sell or pawn some of her jewelry, including her engagement ring, in order to buy, in order to make her half of the down payment on the home that she and Early had agreed to buy in Owego. It's not really keeping the options open if she's buying a house with. Yeah, it's really interesting. Right? Like It's really fascinating. It's like, you're buying a house with this guy. You don't want to marry this guy. And you're seeing a secret boyfriend. Fascinating. It's a fascinating life she lives. Okay. So back to the beginning. Right. It's September 11th, 2001. Michelle worked her shift at Lefty's. When her shift was over, she headed out to the parking lot to have a few drinks with a couple of friends who she worked with. We got this. One of those friends was a guy who she was currently seeing, who no one else knew. Michael. Yep, and then after that, she went to go see Early, her other boyfriend, in Smithborough, and left Early at around 11 p.m. Those are the facts that we have. Those are the people who are the last ones to see her alive. Hmm. Now, at 7 a.m. the next morning, Cal would call Barb Thayer, their nanny, and told her that Michelle had not come home after work last night. He asked if she can come to the house, a six-minute drive from from her own home, and help the children get ready for school. And then she set out. While driving on the road in front of Harris's driveway, she saw Michelle's gold Ford Windsor minivan parked on the side. Thayer parked briefly to take a look. The doors were unlocked and the keys were still in the ignition. She drove down Harris's driveway, which curves through fields and woods a quarter mile to the house. It's one of those big winding roads say, okay. to get to the estate. When, when she says that the the car was near the driveway, basically, it's, but the driveway is a long, is a long way yeah, from yep. the house. Yep, okay. yep, yep. Absolutely. Um, in fact, it was so far, it really made it impossible to see the road from it because okay. the, the, the woods curved so much that you really couldn't see it from the house at all. When she got to the house, she called Michelle's name, hoping that she may have walked there from the car. In the meantime, from Cal calling her to there, Mm -hmm. she had come home. But Cal responded, already dressed for work, saying that Michelle wasn't there. Thayer told him that he saw Michelle's car on the road. And Cal said, well, quote, we better get to it. The two drove down to inspect the vehicle further. Thayer raised a possibility that perhaps Michelle may still be in the vicinity, maybe injured or disoriented. I mean, she left the car. Mm-hmm. It's a not a strange thing to think that yeah. car's in the ignition. There doesn't seem to be any blood or anything anywhere. It seems like she can still be in the area. Yeah. Cal, however, said that she had gone to New York City as she told him that she was going to do. Remember, she said, I'm going to go to the lawyer and I'm going to New York City. So Cal's like, she's definitely in New York. Except her car's here. Yeah, Thayer's like, but how? <laughs> because her car is here on the road. We're looking at it. And her keys are in the car. Right. And Cal then suggested perhaps she hitchhiked. No. Cal. I mean, there's lying. And then there's some dumb, dumb, oh my idiot, <laughs> idiot lying. I mean... She hitchhiked, but why would she leave her car there? Why would she leave her keys in the car? It all just, it's all malarkey. Malarkey, I say. (laughs) Gosh. 
Cal took note of the many items that were in the vehicle. Clothing, mail, magazines, toys, and food wrappers primarily. And said that he needed to get the vehicle cleaned. Nope. Nope, nope, I mean, nope, nope, no, 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 Make an effort, Cal. Make an effort to not say that you murdered your wife. <laughs> Make an effort, my dude. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That That's when you need to call the police immediately and be like, hey. So Thayer then drove it back down the driveway and parked it in the garage, after which Cal left for work. Thayer then called one of Michelle's friends and asked her if she knew Michelle's whereabouts, after which... The friend called Michelle's divorce lawyer, whom she was scheduled to meet later in the day. After learning, she had left lefties at the end of her shift the night before and that her cell phone was being left unanswered. He called the state police and reported her missing. This is the 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 lawyer. lawyer. Also wild that the nanny has officially done more sleuthing to try to find her than her Current yeah, husband almost ex. It is literally father of children. The craziest thing that Cal is not the one to report her missing. Right. Um, He's like, well, gotta go to work. Gonna get this car cleaned later. Ain't no one else gonna make this money. <laughs> Just gotta go to work. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty insane that the nanny is the one who right? who calls, and it's pretty even more insane that her divorce lawyer is the one who makes the next set of phone calls. Well, the state and police investigator Sue Mullavy took the call and dispatched two investigators to the scene. Now, it is important to note that the state police in Tioga County had much more limited resources available to them that morning than they normally do Mm. for missing persons cases. And why is that? September 11th. Yeah, because they literally sent a majority of their troopers, their investigators, all down to New York City, right? New York was having this huge crisis. The city was in total crisis the day before, September 11th. So many people needed help. Um, So these these, uh, officials and officers were sent to New York to provide additional security and manpower in wake of the attacks on the Trade Center. This included forensic experts. This included dogs and aviation team members. Two of the investigators who remained were Mike Myers and Mike Young, who got to Cal's dealership at 940 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And from there, we'll begin our investigation to where Michelle went. And we'll Mm -hmm. cover that when we get back from the break. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. All right, we are back from the break. And last we saw... Cal was acting real suspicious. Cal's acting super suspicious. Didn't make this phone call to to find where his missing wife was. Can't wait to clean the car. Can't wait to clean the car. 
and suggested she went hitchhiking to and New York. And suggested she hitchhiked her way to New York, which makes Good no sense. Heavens. So Mulvey, the 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 investigator, took the call. She dispatches two of her people, Mike Myers and Mike Young, and they get to Cal's dealership at nine forty in the morning on September twelfth, two thousand and one. Young recalled in an interview that, quote, Cal was very calm and unemotional. Myers added that, quote, he didn't seem to us that he was trying to hide anything or stop us from doing anything. If Cal had something to hide, he sure didn't act it. He took the investigators back to the house so they can look around for themselves, granting them full access to the entire home. Young said they didn't spot anything unusual as they went through the house. Cal was free to return to his office, and he left Young and Myers alone on the property. Myers had, did have a concern. He said that Cal came across as very personable and cooperative, but there seemed to be something missing. Everything seemed almost programmed, mm-hmm. right? It's almost that that thing where, like, you you are thinking a thousand steps in advance. Like, you know, mm-hmm. investigators don't come to your house. You know all these mm-hmm. things, so like you're almost prepped, and all the things that he was ready to do were all prepped. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cal Harris denied that he had anything to do with Michelle's disappearance. Cal told the police that Michelle actually at the time was drinking heavily and possibly using cocaine. Perhaps the night of the night that she went missing, partying got out of hand and that caused her to to go missing. Again, I think you always have to go back to why is her car left so close to her house? Right. Right, that's the weird thing. Yeah. If if the car were halfway between the house and work, if you know, maybe I could see that more. But it, it's right at the house, so even even if she was disoriented from taking cocaine and drinking, like then she should be in the woods nearby or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like certainly. So you know, the police investigators would then you know eventually talk to Michelle's family and her friends and told them this information, and they just refuted it. They were like. That's not the case. Michelle never drank to excess. And if she did, like normal people did, mm-hmm. it's once in a while. She's not getting drunk every single mm-hmm. night. And she was not using cocaine. She didn't use any illegal drugs. Mm-hmm. So the next suspect on the list, you know, they kind of just put Cal to the side for a second and just kind of moved on. Because, you know, there are a few people who see Michelle yeah. that evening before she goes missing. Um, aside from Cal, there's three other men. And so the first one on that list is 23-year-old Brian Early. He was the last one who was reported that Michelle was with. Okay, right. Super young, 23. 23, yeah. She's in her mid-30s at this point. All right, all right, Michelle. You, you go. <laughs> um, they go, they find Brian early. Early would tell investigators what happened that evening at their final moments. He said after they hung out, he walked her to her van, he closed the door, he leaned into the window, he gave her a kiss goodnight, told her that he loved her and that he'd see her tomorrow. Then she backed out of his parking spot, drove away, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So they took that report. They got nothing other nothing other than that out of it. It yeah. didn't seem too suspicious. He was very calm talking about it. It wasn't anything too sure. odd. But of course, he's staying on the list. Right. So moving on, police would focus on the two other men she saw that night, Michael Casper and Michael Hakes. Casper was the one in the secret relationship with Michelle. Right. And Hakes had an interesting record that surprised investigators. Oh. So 
anytime that you people are are suspected for murder or foul play and that jazz obviously your record gets you know yeah you run the names you run the name and the investigators found that uh, uh and found that hakes had been convicted of rape in arizona and had served 10 years in prison hmm. however Interesting as it was, there was really no evidence connecting him to Michelle's disappearance. Right. After he, Early, uh, and Casper all passed lie detector tests. Okay. So, you know, okay. the three guys passed lie detector tests. I know that lie detector tests are not- They're not admissible in admissible court. Admissible in court. But this is pre-court still. Right. You can you can, you can can psych out the, the lie detector test, but fine. Yep. All three men passed lie detector tests- does Cal take a lie detector test? There's no word that Cal takes a lie detector test. Hmm. There's, I find no record of that. Okay. So the three guys passed lie detector tests. Early even had his home searched. He had his parents' home searched. Yeah. His cabin. There was no nothing, evidence. No evidence to find of any of any site. And also, it's important to note there was no blood or anything on the road. Nothing in the car, mm-hmm. like the car, which had been searched, but was also a bit tampered with because right, two people, knew, yeah, yeah, two people were in that car at one point, uh, out after the murder. So also after the missing, after she's missing. So also that's also not great that the evidence is clearly right. tampered with at this point in the game as well. After this investigation of the three guys, the focus returns once again to Cal. Cal, right. Three days after Michelle disappeared, Joseph Anderson, a state police forensics investigator, entered the house's open garage, where he saw what appeared to be red blood splatter on the wall. How did they miss this the first time? I don't know. Apparently, the two missed it. Did they not go into the garage? Apparently, they said that they did a very fine search of the entire place, but this... You know, but also taking into consideration a lot of these folks weren't here for this initial right. this initial um, search. Right. And this is a forensics officer and investigator now entering the house. So he's going through things a little bit more yeah. finer, I, I suppose. Yeah. And so he sees blood splatter on the wall. There was more on the doorway of the house as well. This was used to obtain a search warrant for the house and further investigation discovered similar substance that left the stains to be human blood. And it was collected and preserved for later DNA tests. Mm. Anderson believed that there was also evidence that additional blood had been present but had been cleaned. The Mm. police now considered the house a crime scene. That same day, Cal and members of Michelle's family gathered for dinner in Cooperstown. That had to be tense. Yeah, I mean, certainly everyone knows that she's missing at this point. Right. There, two of her sisters confronted him about a threat that he had made in March to kill Michelle and dispose of her body in such a way that would never be found. Remember, that was the thing that that her sister-in-law spoke about earlier. Also, they they confronted him about a 1996 incident in which Michelle had called from a closet where she had hid as Cal repeatedly cocked his shotgun outside. Oh, no. After denying these incidents, Cal eventually admitted to the threat but claimed that he had not been serious. It was all just a misunderstanding and a joke. Just really, we have a great joke. Great joke, Cal. I just can't. Or people are like, don't, I don't know. I, I've never like joked about like, 
murdering someone in such a way that it's so specific. Right. I was going to say. It's like, I'll kill you. (laughs) Or I'll kill you. And when I do kill you, no one will ever know. No one will ever find your body. They'll never know it even happened. It's like, that's very specific. That's very specific. (laughs) And now it's 2001. And we don't don't know where a body is. So chances are. it Sounds Sounds like you. It sounds real fishy, Cal. (laughs) Also, the name Cal. Cal. I just want to say. I was going to say. Titanic villain Cal. I mean, Cal oh, is not a yeah. good name. Sorry, Billy Zane, but you were great. <laughs> but, you know, good actor. Because, like, Cal's a terrible, That's terrible, awesome. evil person's name. I do apologize. If your name is Cal. If your name is Cal. <laughs> I think you should instead call yourself Calvin, which I think is a very distinguished mm. name. Calvin, as in Calvin Coolidge. Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> But Cal just reminds me of the villain in Titanic. The villain Titanic. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Happy anniversary, Titanic. Oh, that's right. 25 years. Well, well over that for the actual sinking. But <laughs> just want everyone to know that I know. Just the want to say we're talking happened. about the movie. The Titanic <laughs> happened sometime around 1997. <laughs> <laughs> Is that when it came out? I don't even know. Um, so. When Cal returned to Spencer, investigators were there waiting for him and asked him about the bloodstains. He was initially unable to explain them, but later said that Michelle had cut herself in the garage the month before. With his permission, they searched his truck and and all-terrain vehicle and searched Michelle's car extensively, almost to the point of disassembly. Among its contents were Michelle's cell phone, which registered one missed call and a voicemail from a worried friend, and a black bag containing her jewelry. Forensic technicians found both Cal and Earley's fingerprints, as well as those of a third person besides Michelle, but no blood. Um, this is in Cal's vehicle or in? This is Michelle's vehicle. Michelle's they vehicle. They checked Cal's okay. vehicle right, right, right. to find nothing there. Okay. And it's really interesting, too, because you say, okay, they found blood. They're going to run the DNA. And Cal's ahead of that. Cal's like, yeah, she like cut herself. In right. The I was going to say, like, un- I guess this is where blood's bladder and like amounts of blood start to play yeah. a factor because you if you live there yeah your dna is going to be there yeah and you i mean there's definitely blood in my apartment that's my blood yeah like i know for a fact i've definitely cut myself and like i i'm frequent to nosebleeds like i'm sure if someone yeah. like did dna forensics in my house they would find my blood places because like i just and my klutz and like my nosebleeds sometimes so <laughs> when you live a place yeah your dna yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. and the fact that like how was like yeah no i you know she did cut herself in the garage right and there's that that thought that perhaps some of the blood some of the blood was actually clean before the police got there well if she cut herself she's not gonna just leave it yeah. right you know so without any further evidence police tried a more discreet investigation technique they had troopers watch Cal's property using night vision goggles mm. and camouflage to see if he might go anywhere under the cover of darkness. Starting in October, they also attached a GPS tracking unit to his truck for six Ooh, months wow. to see if his movements might indicate a possible disposal site. Neither yielded any information. Wow. Okay. So among all these questions that these police have, there's only one, really, aside from like how and what and why, there's one question that just plagues them the entire time where is this body right so they are they're they are convinced there's a body at this point yeah and they look everywhere eventually when when staffing starts coming back they send helicopters out people are searching the woods Mm -hmm. and there's no sign of this woman's body and spoiler alert there never is Mm. they never find michelle's body anywhere never any limbs never any other like random dna on the outside 
Whatever happened to her, she was gone. Right. Not to say that she was murdered at the house and then dragged someplace. None of, I mean, it, she is gone. Yeah. There's no trace of her ever again. Wow. After the initial investigations, the case seemed to have gone cold for the next few years. Police continued to believe that Cal had killed Michelle by some means. It just seemed like the most likely case. Mm-hmm. All the evidence pointed that way. Just about a few weeks after um, Michelle was was missing, Cal had already started dating someone new. Hmm. Um, and again, it's not entirely far-fetched because Michelle was seeing people. They were in the process right. of divorce. But the the care that he seemed to have was limited. But then again, these two were in an odd marriage yeah. at its end where there was a lot of, of, of uh, anger and, right. and hate. So it's not weird to say... It's weird that he doesn't give a care about this woman anymore. They were like fighting at the end of their yeah. marriage, right? Like it was not a happy marriage. They, it is weird. He promised to, well, didn't promise, but like made a threat to kill her and just yeah, like the only th- exactly that's pretty. I, I think that's what really keeps the investigators on point, thinking that it has to be Cal. That yeah. Cal has something to do with it, right? Because of this very specific threat that is made. Mm-hmm. While the police continued to believe that Cal killed Michelle by some means, disposing of her body somehow, somewhere, just like his promise was, that he would find a way that no one would know ever see her. But other than that, there was insufficient evidence for any sort of conviction. And it stays that way for a few years until 2005. Okay. In 2005, there's a slight break in the case, ever so slight. Investigators re-interviewed folks among them were Jerome Wilczewski, the hairdresser who Michelle had allowed to overhear Cal's violent threats to her. Right. Including the one where he said, I will kill you, make you disappear, all that jazz. When police first spoke to him shortly after the investigation began, he hadn't told him about the threats. Oh. Yeah. For some reason, he just, just left that, that out? whole thing. Four years later, he did tell him that. So now with evidence of a second threat, Mm. With the second bout of information being dropped that he would literally kill you yeah. and you would not know where you're buried and all that jazz. Um, and this one coming closer to the time of actual homicide. Mm-hmm. This was happening in around July when she would be missing in September. Right. They felt that they now can secure a conviction without a body, which is very hard. That's to do. rough. Yeah. Conviction without a body. They just threw everything they had against the wall, hoping for the best. A Tioga County grand jury indicted Cal on one count of second-degree murder on September 30th, 2005, after which state troopers went to his Ford dealership outside Owego and arrested him in front of his employees, not only handcuffing him, but putting him in leg irons as well. Cal was tried four times over the next 11 years in two counties with five judges from four different counties presiding. And three appellate courts hearing the case as well. The first trial was delayed after the indictment was dismissed and a new judge assigned due to some issues between the first judge and Tioga County District Attorney Gerald Keene. Mm. When it was finally held, Cal was convicted, but the verdict was set aside when a witness came forward the day afterwards with some information that was very favorable to Cal. Mm. The morning after Cal was convicted, Kevin Tubbs, a farmhand who lived near the Harrises, looked at the newspaper with coverage of the verdict and saw Michelle's picture on the front page. He would then come forward and say that he had recognized her as a woman he had saw on the morning of September 12, 2001, on the road next to the Harrises' driveway. 
along with another vehicle, a pickup truck, next to which was a man arguing with Michelle. That morning, Tubbs said he had gotten up for work around 5.30 in the morning. The sky was a bit dark still. He had to pull a hay wagon along the road, and the truck's brakes were in poor condition. So he was going slowly. He believed he had passed the Harris house and seen Michelle and the identified, unidentified man at around 5.45 in the morning. Tubbs' account was at odds with the state's theory that Cal had killed Michelle at their home overnight mm-hmm. and suggests other suspects. The defense included his account in their motion to set aside the verdict, arguing that the emergence of the new evidence would have resulted in a different verdict. Mm-hmm. The court granted the, that motion November of 07. Then a second trial was held with the witness testifying. However, a blood splatter expert also testified, saying that the bloodstains in Michelle's kitchen and garage appeared to be fresh, and their size and shape were indicative of blunt force trauma. Mm. Calvin's attorney would then argue that there was no evidence to indicate Michelle was even deceased. What a dick. Yeah. But we don't have a body, so how how would we even know? Well, that's why these cases are notoriously difficult, right? Yeah, there's no body, so how can you even say that she was deceased? In any case, though, Cal was convicted at se- of second-degree murder and once again in, 2000, in June 2007. Cal would then be retried in August of 2009 and convicted of second-degree murder again. So that's three times now that he's been convicted, right? Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. It gets a little... The numbers get a little confusing. Okay. Because some are tossing cases and some are right. overturned convictions. Right. He's retried in 2009 of that August and convicted of second-degree murder again. He's sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. But then October 2012, the conviction was overturned again. At his third trial in May 2015, the jury was unable to reach a verdict and the judge declared a mistrial. At his fourth murder trial in spring 2016, Calvin waived his right to trial by jury and was tried by a judge instead. He was acquitted of all charges. Wow. It's like, that's how you get out of shit. You're like, you know what? Screw the jury. Judge, you do the thing. That's interesting. That's also a risk. I don't know. I, I My first thought was to question the witness who just now came forward. One, why didn't the police talk to neighbors years ago? Yeah, I mean, they didn't which, even know this guy existed. And he was not technically a neighbor per se. He was just using that road. Oh, I thought, oh, he's not like a, like the the next estate over, basically. Yeah, they don't really um, kind okay. of get into it. But... My first thought was going to be like, how can you be so certain that that was the day you saw? Yeah, exactly. Flip and that side. you saw Michelle at 5.30 in the morning on the sky is a little weird. Yeah. The flip side is it is the day, right? Like it's the morning after 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. So like I remember some very specific things that I might not otherwise be able to place. If it was but I know it was September 12th, 2001. Yeah. I got my period September 12, 2001. Very weird timing. And now you all And now you all know. Now you all know cuz he's the cycle that early. <laughs> so, Cal's acquitted of all charges, but his legal troubles didn't end there. 3 weeks after his acquittal, Cal was arrested outside the Oneonta home of Terry Schultz, one of the state police investigators in the case on stalking charges. Oh, boy. Cal allegedly videotaped Schultz's home, property, and car, and sat outside for over an hour staring and making threats against Schultz's son. He was charged with fourth-degree stalking, a misdemeanor. The following February, prosecutors added more misdemeanors, a second-degree menacing, and a second-degree harassment charge. 
Cal denied all the charges, telling the media that the police were simply trying to get even with him for his acquittal and the way his defense had exposed all their shortcomings. In September of that year, uh, an Onoego Village Court justice fined him $100 and required him to take anger management classes for a year after finding him guilty of a harassment charge. Uh, yet another harassment Good charge. Lord. Cal had been accused of bullying and threatening a student in his daughter's SUNY Broom Community College satellite class in the village who had mentioned the case. Goodness. A year later, Cal filed a malicious prosecution lawsuit in federal court. He named the state police, Tioga County, its district attorney's office as defendants, along with individual officials, prosecutors, and investigators, and Barb Thayer. The, the nanny. What? Who gave all that information, being like, things are weird. He's not calling, so I'm going to call these people to see why, to, to mention that just to like is missing. Double check if you know where she is. The suit su claimed the defendants were negligent and or malfeasant, failing to pursue leads that could have identified other suspects, as well as altering evidence to incriminate Cal. He sought both compensatory and punitive damages. At the end of 2017, he was arrested again after a driver on Interstate 81 in Northern Cortland County called police to report that a white pickup truck had struck the vehicle and driven away. When state troopers pulled the vehicle over, Cal was behind the wheel. He was charged with driving while intoxicated and leaving the scene of an accident. He had a pickup truck? Yes. He had an all-terrain vehicle, a pickup truck, all that jazz. It's just interesting that the guy who came forward and helped him get his case overturned saw a pickup truck arguing with anyway i guess people have pickup trucks i believe that his his um his case his 2016 case about everyone you know being law mm -hmm. is still ongoing i'm not sure oh, wow. that's been i didn't find a resolution to that so i right. think it's still ongoing um michelle's family remains con convinced that cal murdered her mm -hmm. um as do i yeah. Um, Cal and Michelle's four children, though, have continued to support their father and do not interact with uh, Michelle's family much. Interesting. In 2020, David Beers, a private investigator Cal had originally hired to find Michelle, who later worked for his defense team, published a book about the case called Reign of Injustice, arguing strongly for Cal's innocence as a victim of sloppy police work. So apparently David Beers was hired as an investigator to find Michelle. I'm not sure if Cal did that altruistically or to right. kind of like clear himself, clear himself. But um, he found in all the evidence that Cal was probably most likely innocent and does a lot of sloppy police work. I mean, I do have questions about the police work. Again, I know people were away. Um yeah, I think the police work was not great for this case. Yeah, no, definitely not. I think from the jump, the police work was really shoddy. From yeah. the jump, not finding that blood on day one. Yeah. Um, not making it, I know everything's in chaos, but making it your your official thing to like find some, to close off the house immediately. Right, right. Um, I think it was very shoddy from top to bottom. And, you know, Michelle becomes the victim of that. Yeah. I do think it was probably Cal. Michelle case uh, of as many person is still ongoing. Obviously, we're still wow. we're still looking for her. Who are for, still looking for Michelle? Um, yeah, wow. and that is basically it. So another nine eleven missing persons case, but wow. one a little different from all the missing people that were the all the missing people that went missing on that right. that fateful morning. Wild, crazy times. 
Well, thank you for that, Adam. Of course. If you guys have any theories on that, you know what to do. Head on over to our social media at NY Mystery Machine on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and you can drop us all sorts of theories there, or you can drop us an email, uh, NewYorkMysteryMachine at gmail.com, and uh, send us a long form, or head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and drop us a review, uh, letting us know your thoughts. We appreciate it, and I'm sure, I'm sure these families of these the these missing people appreciate when people take an extra minute to kind of like help help the journey finding. Again, the thing, the worst part of all this is, I think with Michelle's family, it's a little different. I think Michelle's family. What makes them unhappy is the fact that they know Cal, in their minds, they know Cal mm-hmm. did it and he's going, he's walking free. Mm-hmm. As well, a lot of these families who just want to know where their loved right. ones are. Oof. Well, we're back next week. <laughs> yeah, we are. And um, before I forget, if you're interested in supporting the pod in a, in a very important way you can head over to our patreon that's patreon.com slash ny mystery machine for as little as three dollars a month you join the community for as little as five dollars a month you will get a bonus episode every month as long with some other fun goodies all right we are back next week i've been adam mace i've been christina Marino. and thanks for taking a ride on the new york mystery machine Tamahal, hall for ghosts <laughs>